Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Bendetti. Uh, he is the Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer at Life Cycle Engineering. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Robert. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Just give a brief uh, biography and how you got to where you are today. CFO, husband, father, ultra runner. I've always loved math, even as a little kid, and realized early on that being pretty good at theater and being pretty good at tennis doesn't pay very well. But being pretty decent at math, you can make a good living. And so I, I found my way to the CFO path. Okay. Uh, you're part of the Global CFO Council. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I founded the Global CFO Council a few years ago during COVID. I had run some local chapters of an, uh, just a roundtable for senior financial executives in South Carolina. And we started having to do the meetings virtual. I opened up measure, uh, membership to anywhere in the country and then in the globe. And now we have 1,500 members in 30 countries, and we do monthly virtual meetings on topics that are interesting to chief financial officers. And it's a nice way to have some, some share some education, some learning, and some fellowship. So talk about the current economic situation here, and what are the challenges for CFOs? We've had the Federal Reserve raising interest rates sharply uh, for the last uh, year or so. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, global uh, you know, financial problems here. So kind of give us a sense of um, your evaluation of the current situation as seen from a chief financial officer point of view. Yeah, there's, I think a key thing to focus on in this season is going to be cash. I love the quote, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is reality. And now more than ever, I think, is a time for senior financial executives to focus on their cash position and turning revenue into profit into cash. And so I, I, I've been sounding the alarm for maybe a couple of years that the cheap and easy money is running out and now has run out. And so we're, as you said it, we're entering a season of rising interest rates and inflation and uh, the cost of any waste or inefficiency has I increased dramatically. And uh, we may look back and say maybe the past 10 years were the really good years, the really good season. And we may be up for some challenges uh, in, in 23. So I, I, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I, I think for senior financial executives, I think you need to roll up your sleeves in 23 is going to be a very challenging year. So are you saying a lot of companies were too fat, they were hiring too many people before? Because you've seen a lot of layoffs, particularly in the high-tech space. Is this kind of a reckoning year in 23? Well, I don't know if I would focus just on, on the hiring practices, but I think in general, a lot of companies were focused on a season of revenue increases and that that was more important than, say, margin and that that was more important than cash. And I would just say now, as cash gets more expensive and revenue is harder to find, I, I think that this is a season to really focus on your cash position. You can't pay payroll with 
uh, and a, a promise to pay in accounts receivable. I got to have cash to pay payroll. And it used to be very easy to get money from a bank or from investors and now less so. So whether it is labor costs or material costs or it is shipping costs, I think all of those things need to be looked at. And if you've got revenue forecasts that you're basing your plans both in the near term and the long term on, I think you've got to really challenge and push back on those revenue forecasts. And this is small, medium, or large business that that you maybe you just assumed you were going to hit your revenue targets. I think that's a really bad assumption, and you should no longer assume that, and you should stress test your budget and stress test your forecast if that's not something you were doing before. Whatever those key assumptions are, those need to be challenged. Do you think the Federal Reserve is doing the right thing by raising interest rates as much as they have, and the anticipation is they'll do even more because inflation is still under control? Well, they've said that they don't care if it causes a recession, and it might, uh, that they're worried about inflation. So I'm not sure I would prioritize inflation as high as they did, uh, but they're definitely doing what they said. I think that's calming to the markets, even if you don't agree with it or you think it's crazy, that they are actually doing exactly what they said they were going to do. So I think that that, that is calming. You know, you, you don't agree, but they are doing what they said they were going to do. Uh, I wish very much that the Federal Reserve would talk to the rest of the, well, the Federal Reserve is technically independent, but I wish they would talk to uh, Congress and the president and start working together. It seems like Congress and the president are spending every dollar or printing every dollar possible, and then the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates trying to fight off uh, inflation but they seem to be working against each other. So I just wish they would talk. How far do you think the Federal Reserve is going to push it? They've raised rates eight times in the last year, a quarter point last week. Do you think there will be two more, three more? How many more rate increases do you think you'll get out of the Federal Reserve? Wow, this is a think, not I know. Uh, what I read is that we're going to get a couple more. But it seems like every time I read The Economist's forecasts, they, they always say there's going to be a couple more. So, Jordan, I'm interested in maybe your ear is a little closer to the ground than mine, but I, I think we're going to see another at least couple quarter points, and then I hope it stops. I hope they – but I don't know that. What, what do you think? I think there's at least twice more, and the unemployment report we got on Friday was much stronger than expected, so that's going to keep pushing upward uh, pressure on wages, and the Fed's going to keep going until – they kill the, uh, the golden goose here is what I think they're going to do, uh, frankly. But I'm just saying from a well, CFO's point of view, who has to kind of see the financial environment, say the Fed does do it two more and, and it keeps rates high for quite a while. Other than keeping cash, how, what is the CFO supposed to do about that? Well, I think that, first of all, as a chief financial officer, I'm going to model both the, all the likely scenarios. So I might hope that it's only two times, but I would plan that on that it's more than two times, but I would do multiple scenarios. That would be one. And what does it do to the cost of capital? And what does it do to your profitability if you're highly leveraged? I would also think that it's really important for senior financial executives to identify the 20% of your SKUs or products or customers that are driving 80% of your margin. It seems like just, just a truism of life, this Pareto analysis, uh, the 80-20 rule. Uh, and everywhere I've ever worked, uh, certainly, 
and I think every CFO I've ever talked to, this is true, that 20% of your SKUs and your products and your customers drive those 80% of your margins. So you, you need to identify which one are the 20%. And you need to stress test those specific customers and see if those customers are, uh, can, can they be impacted by wild swings in the market? Could uh, a recession, are they, are they uh, more sensitive to the cost of capital? Is their likelihood to, to pay dramatically impacted by changing costs of capital or changing demand? So that would be my, my first call to action. Actually, isn't just to, oh, hey, retain cash. It would be to, I start off with stress testing the budget, but in particular, identifying the, the, that 80-20 rule. Yeah. Now, you say there's quite a few dumb things that companies do to lose money. What would be some of the dumbest things people do, companies do to lose money? Well, I think one of the things that they do is uh, most companies are not doing this. They, they are they're in the rapid pursuit of revenue. Uh, and I think that that is a, is a really good philosophy if you're a small business and you're in a hyper-growth mode. So don't get me wrong. We've all worked at those kind of companies, and I think that that is a, that's a great mindset. And you read about that mindset being very successful in the trade magazines, but it's really a, a narrow focus for a very specific situation where you're in a hyper-growth mode. And most companies aren't in that mode. And so I think the core thing is, so A, if you can, you can focus on margin and focus on cash, so to put that out of the way, I think also is companies make a bad decision that assuming that the executives, the five or six executives in the room, are the ones that are only going to have all the answers. I think some of your best answers during a challenging time like this is going to be those people that are closest to the customer and those employees that are closest to the product. And so I would say problem number two, if you're not doing it, is to seek the input of your best salespeople, and your best operators. What opportunities closest to the product are there to reduce costs out of the product or to streamline processes? And what opportunities to grow revenue and additional regions or with additional services or a new product by talking to your greatest salespeople? So I would talk, I would tell executives number two is get out of the conference room that you're in brainstorming and go talk to your best salespeople and your best operators. And you're saying a lot of people don't do that. They, they think they know it all. They don't take oh, that. Absolutely. In. I, I mean, I'd be interested in your experience, but my experience is that you get uh, um, tunnel vision. You've been promoted because of the unbelievable successes you've had in your career. And, and sometimes some people can feel like either, Hey, I, I, I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm getting paid to have all the answers. And it's, they feel self-conscious or they, they, they feel like they have to present themselves that way or they just actually believe that. They believe that they have all the answers, they know everything, and, and they're going to run from a very top-down management style. And I would just suggest that certainly now, I would say always, but certainly now during challenging business times, it's a good idea to get out of corporate headquarters and go talk to the, your best salespeople Go talk to your best operators. Go talk to your customers that are driving those 20% of your, uh, of your sales that are driving 80% of your margin. Just get out of your office and get closer to the sales team, get closer to operations, get closer to your customers. Yeah, good idea indeed. 
We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Vendetti. Uh, he is with the Global CFO Council, an expert on corporate finance. You can find out more at his website, globalcfocouncil.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Your host, my guest this hour, is Robert Vendetti. He is a CPA, Chief Financial Officer at Life Cycle Engineering. Uh, also, he helped found the uh, Global CFO Council, Chief Financial Officers. You can find out more at their website, globalcfocouncil.com. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thank you for having me back, Jordan. Tell me a little bit more about Life Cycle Engineering and what kind of things that company does. Lifecycle Engineering is a consulting firm. We say that we bring engineering logic to consulting, and the particular kind of consulting that we do is reliability engineering or process engineering. So think somebody with a lot of assets like a pharmaceutical company, and they want those assets to run reliably and be able to make the medicine necessary for all of us. Then they hire folks like us to come help and make sure that they're running those machines optimally. And we've got about 800 engineers around the country, and we do work both uh, commercially, but also uh, for the government, too. We help out, like the Navy, do the same thing. You need those ships running reliably. You don't want them to break down in the middle of the ocean with a bunch of sharks circling all of our sailors. So you find when you get into these companies, in many cases, they're not running things efficiently, and you can make it much more efficient. Well, they'd like to be. Usually life happens like us personally, and they ha they, when they started, it was a really good plan. 
and then they had some new products or they grew or they contracted. And then 10 or 15 years later, you look and it's like, it, it, it's like, oh my gosh, you're, you're just battling day to day. But that holistic plan that you had 15 years ago, you're just not sticking to it. And things are all over the building. It's not optimally laid out. You are operating machinery just enough to get the product out. And you really wish that you were following your, your maintenance plan. You, you wish you were using best practices, but life happens and you're just not getting to it. I, I see it in my own life. You know, you, there's stuff we all wish we were sleeping better, eating better, working out more. And you think about it, but life happens and you don't get to all the things you'd like to be. That happens at work as well. And you need personal coaches. Well, you also need business coaches. And so manufacturing companies hire firms like ours to get them back uh, on the straight and narrow. Is there resistance to the advice you're giving them? Uh, like we've done, always done it this way. Why do we have to do it a new way? Is that kind of part of the process? Definitely. And for a long time, we weren't really sure how to handle that. We would just, well, this is, I mean, we all know this is the way to do it. And we all sort of agree, theoretically, so why don't we all just do it? And uh, we didn't always find ourselves uh, that we were getting the successes, the long-term successes that we wanted and we hoped for, and until we, in addition to the best business practices and uh, Lean and Six Sigma and uh, kind of the standard change management practices, we started sprinkling something, uh, it's like the people side of change, using uh, a, a philosophy that was developed by ProSci. I'm not sure, have you ever heard of ProSci yeah. change management practices? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we started sprinkling that in in their ADCAR model, which is uh, that change, whether it's, there's, there's going to be a person at the beginning or the end of a, a machine or a process or a computer system. So it's not enough to just say, this is the right way we're all going to do it. You've got to pursue change at the personal level because there's a person involved in the process or the computer or the machine. And so we started putting that new tool in our tool belt of change management practices, if you will, and saw dramatic increases in the effectiveness of the consulting work we were doing. And we just walk people through that ADCAR model, the where are they in the change management process at a, as a, at a person, a personal level, always with an overall framework of tuning into the peop, everybody's favorite radio station, which is WIIFM. What's in it for me? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you talk a lot about the growth mindset. Uh, this is both for companies and for individuals as well. And you talk about the four L's of the growth mindset. The first one is learning. So what do people need to do that they're, they're maybe they're not learning enough or open to learning? What do you mean by that? Yeah, I like alliteration. So it's easy for me to remember if I go with like uh, four L's. And so for me, learning, and this could be if you're just uh, anywhere within your career, this could be a put your personal hat or your professional hat. I think all of this applies. And learning can just be the idea of having a mindset that you're open to new things and continually learning. And that could be like a radio station or a podcast like this. It could be books, ebooks. It could also be mentors. 
and seeking the input of others, either in a formal relationship where you reach out to somebody who's a little further down the journey where you would like to be, they're a few steps ahead and you would like to learn from them, or it could be peers in your network. But I think the first L uh, to transform yourself is learning. And you think some people resist learning. They think they already know it all. Well, I think they just don't make time for it. They, they, there's other things that are distracting them. They'd, they'd like to get to the next level, but they're too busy talking about it instead of being about it or tweeting about it instead of doing something about it. We spend, what is it, six hours on our phone, and a lot of people just watch television and scroll on their phone instead of doing something to actually better themselves. So I would just say stop watching television and scrolling on your phone and listen to a podcast while you're going on a walk uh, or read a book, reach out to a mentor, or connect with some peers that really have their stuff together that you're really impressed with. And you might be saying, oh, I, I'd love a mentor, but I don't really know anybody. Well, you could have maybe a virtual mentor where they don't know who you are, but you are re- reading the, the blogs, the posts, the books that they're writing. You're following them on uh, platforms to learn from them. It might not, it doesn't have to be a virtual, like a, uh, if you can't find a mentor, a virtual mentor is, is also possible. So that's the first L of the growth mindset is learning. The second one is leading. So what do people know? A lot of people are not comfortable leading. How do you become a leader? I think you can really learn a lot and step up your game by serving other people by empowering and helping others. So in this L, this sort of leading, what I mean is it could be at work, you know, volunteer for a cross-functional team. It, it, that that's totally works. So, you know, it, uh, I know as a, a leader in an organization, I'm constantly putting together cross-functional teams and it's impossible to get, get people to volunteer. So that would be awesome if people would just volunteer for the cross-functional teams. But some other things you could do, it could be as simple as just volunteering for the worst job at work, the worst uh, run the worst piece of equipment, or there's a region that's really failing, or there was an acquisition and it's going horribly wrong, or a customer that's terribly difficult. Volunteer for the work to lead that turnaround. And then I'd, I'd also say that it could be as simple, uh, not at work, it could be in your community, that it could be a civic organization, an industry association, they're going to need leaders in every capacity on every committee. And that's a great way to learn, uh, a great way to get new input to take you to the next level in your career. And there are amazing community leaders and industry leaders that volunteer in these associations that have experiences that you haven't had yet. And you could learn a tremendous amount while serving others. So those are the first two L's of the growth mindset, learning and leading. The next one is listening. We talked a little bit about that before, about talking to your sales force and so on, but what do people need to do to become better listeners? Well, I'm I'm preaching here to myself for a second, Jordan, and I'll say you got to remember that you're not the smartest person in the room. Uh, It's worth repeating. Especially when I was younger, it seemed like, uh, oh, I'm fresh out of college. I'm a, I'm a big timer, and I, I've been in rooms where I think I'm the smartest person in the room, and that that's just not true. And that come to all situations that you're going to listen and learn before you're going to talk. And 
So I think that is a super critical mindset always. And then I think that listening that uh, we talked about this a little bit, but let's say you're, you're at work. I think that if you got the opportunity, you need to make an opportunity. If you don't, you need to talk to the best salesperson in your organization. If it's a phone call, cause they don't live anywhere near you fine, but if possible, a coffee or a lunch. And this is regardless what part of the organization and you could be in operations, you could be in accounting, you could be in sales. You need to find the best salesperson and take he or she out to lunch or grab a cup of coffee. You pay and just uh, learn about them and learn about the business. Number two is there's an old timer in your office. And again, this is regardless of what area of the organization you're in and what area of the organization they're in. But there's somebody who's been there and done that. And same thing, you got to insert yourself and invite them to a coffee or a lunch. There aren't a lot of people who ask the sales folks and the old timers out to grab a cup of coffee and they will appreciate that. And you will learn a ton by just listening and taking notes. So those are the first three L's, learning, leading, listening. And the fourth L is leaving. What do you mean by that? We've got a lot of negative influences in our life, and sometimes we just accept it. It could be uh, uh, old friends. It could be old college buddies. And there's some stuff to make room for the learning and the leading and the listening you're going to have to stop doing. And that might mean that you have to stop hanging out with some of those negative influences, those old friends, those old college buddies or old high school buddies. If it's said that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with, then those five people need to be better than you. If all you do, if all Robert Bendetti does is solve the problems for, their, for, for his friends, they're bringing you, me down. And you need to, you need to assess your friend group and it might be time to you you don't have to you don't have to cut them off completely but maybe it's just slowly over time spending less and less and less time with them it could be uh family uh that you you can't fire family but you also don't have to solve all their problems and spend as much time maybe as you are there are family members that are toxic and sometimes you got to leave you got to separate yourself from those negative influences to make room for you to grow in your mindset. And then it might not be your friends and your family that are the negative influence. It could be some negative habits that Robert Bendetti has. And if you've got your nutrition or your exercise or your sleep game is not on point, it needs to get on point. Uh, it could be somebody who's suffering from an addiction a drug or an alcohol or, or a million other addictions. And you, you might have to say this is the time where you're going to have to seek professional insights to separate yourself, to leave those negative habits that you've created. And if, if you haven't been able to do it on your own in quick order, then you're, not, uh, you're rising up to reach out and seek a prof some professional help. Very but good. leaving is sometimes critical to growing into that next level. Yes. Okay, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Bendetti. He founded the Global CFO Council, and you can find out more at his website, globalcfocouncil.com. 
We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Robert Gundetti, founded the Global CFO Council of Chief Financial Officers. You can find out more at his website, globalcfocouncil.com. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Hello, Jordan. One of the things we wanted to talk about was the rise of remote and hybrid work. The pandemic really affected things, but it doesn't seem like we're going at, going back to where we were before the pandemic. How is that going to change permanently how people work as individuals, but also how companies manage their workforces? Yeah, I got to admit, every time before I start talking about this, that I was a big persecutor of this idea, even as recent as three or four years ago, and now a promoter. So I, for 22 of my 25 years as a bean counter, been really anti-remote and hybrid and any kind of flexibility, and now really see it as a, a great option in, in some cases, in many cases. It doesn't work for everybody in every company in every situation. But I, I did want to start off that I'm a bit of a convert. I don't know if you've been a long supporter, Jordan, of remote, but I'm a recent convert. Well, it's, it's become, I mean, I'll give you an example. My son works for Airbnb in San Francisco, and they used to go in and went to their office, and now they're completely remote. Uh, there's a small central office. Literally, you can work from anywhere in the world, and they don't care where you are. So that's an example of going completely remote and hybrid. It seems to work for them. Yeah, and I'll, I'll answer this in two different ways, because I, I am a supporter and promoter. Uh, 
However, I, it, I don't believe it does work for every situation. And, and for many situations, it's best to be physically together. And, and I tell accounting and finance professionals, you know, if you, are, if you work at a company that makes widgets in a particular town and then sells those widgets to customers in that town, then I think it is of best practice for you to be in that town, in that plant, closest, therefore, to operation sales and the customer. And I think it'll make you more agile and more effective as a senior financial leader. Many of us don't work in that kind of situation, and uh, a more flexible schedule, a hybrid or remote work environment is, is a great complement either to be fully 100% remote or to be partial. And I think that it needs to be evaluated for every job and every company, but there, there was a mindset when I started 25 years ago that that was like less than 1% of the time that that was a, a, that remote and hybrid and flex was uh, a good idea. And I would argue now it's very, very frequent, a great option. And so I certainly, uh, my, uh, my acceptance of it has definitely grown. And I've found that at a professional service firm like Lifecycle Engineering, our staff can be very effective supporting the customer, remote or hybrid or flex. And I've seen higher engagement, higher efficiency, and I've seen significant cost savings from reducing our rent expense. And so I, I now where I was very against, I have a very balanced approach, and I'm very open to conversations with our managers about what the, uh, current and future positions, should they be remote, hybrid, or flex. And so I, I think that there's a lot of positivity. This is a really good thing coming out of a t- terrible global pandemic. I think COVID, you know, horrible, and it impacted us all so personally in a negative way. But I think there is a realization for many that remote and hybrid and flex is here to stay and growing, and there are benefits. What are some of the other long-term implications of the pandemic, in addition to creating more remote and hybrid work? What are some of the other things that have come out of the pandemic that you think are going to last a long time? Well, I'm, I'm bearish on commercial real estate office space that I think that is a really challenging business. If that's what you do or you are going to invest in a REIT that focused on that area, I'm not sure I would do it. I would, uh, um, I think a lot of CFOs are seeing that there's a, a decent percent of their staff that's coming in part of the time. And if we switch to hoteling, I don't need an entire building. I might need half a building or I don't need two floors. I need one floor and people just hotel their space. So I, most senior financial executives that I talk to as leases are coming up are looking to downsize their space. We will always need space. We all need to collaborate. We need time to meet and to be creative together, but that might not be everybody in the building every day. So that's the first is that, uh, I think over time, A, costs will come down. But if you're in that industry, I think you need to become very creative about what you're going to do with that space as it comes available. There will be lower demand, is my opinion. Yeah. Number two I'm seeing is uh, I'm really, really impressed with the remote collaboration that 
the tools that are available, the, the, the acceleration of the deployment of that tools from things is just as simple as video conferencing to the digital whiteboards to the calendar tools, the automation that is, uh, it is amazing that I can host a meeting, I can put together a meeting and have people from all over the world collaborate immediately at a very low cost. That information, I can collect information on a digital whiteboard so everybody can see, everyone can share. It's more inclusive because more people can participate. And then immediately that whiteboard, I can download those to tasks. I, I identify them to individuals and that will create calendar reminders and a calendar due date instead of having an assistant or me having to do that post-meeting. I find that extremely effective, and I've been a fantastic tool. It's not something I used three or four years ago, and now I use it constantly. And every time I use the whiteboard and download it and identify to a resource and send the calendar reminders, I, I just love it. I think that's fantastic. And so I really like the inclusiveness, and I like the efficiency of these remote collaboration tools. CFO normally names means chief financial officer, but you say it can also mean chief future officer. So how are you supposed to look into the future? I mean, we couldn't have seen the pandemic coming. What are some of the things you're looking that might surprise us in the future? I think you can be better at predicting the future the closer you are to the customer and the operations team. So uh, that means to... Either if you're an entrepreneur or you're a business leader, I think that means leaving your office and getting as close to as possible the customer. They will tell you the future and talk to as many customers as possible and you will start seeing themes. Talk to the best salespeople in the field. You will start seeing themes. If there's a most important conference or a most important trade show, as the senior financial executive, don't just pay for it. Go to that absolutely critical trade show and work the trade show booth or go to that conference and sit in on the sessions and you'll start to hear themes. It's like, mm, I'm hearing the same thing from my key customers that I'm hearing from my key salespeople that I'm hearing at the trade show booth that I'm hearing at the conference. And then take those nuggets, that gold, mine that, identify the biggest rocks that you can capitalize on and then pivot towards that opportunity. And as the financial executive, how you can do that, you can do that in partnership with the VP of sales and operations. They already know these things. They are thinking these things. But now you'll have direct insights that you can share, and you'll be able to help them translate that information into financial information so that you can justify the investments that are necessary in either technology, in process improvements, in equipment for the plant, or in uh, new investments in training in the people. You know, where, wherever those opportunities are to capitalize, you'll now have insights. You'll have peers that agree, you know, because they've been probably saying this for three months, but now you know it because you went, out, you went out into the field. And as a senior financial executive, I speak the language of business. I speak accounting. And I can translate their thoughts, their dreams, their hopes into real financial information so that we can get the board approval or the private equity firm approval, or the bank, or the capital markets. So when you uh, are 
asking for money, whether it be a loan or investment, you like to talk about what bankers, investors, and accountants want to know from you when you want money from them. What are some of the things that they're typically looking for? Well, I'll give you two different answers because I think the answer is a little different for bankers and investors. So for bankers, the best time to go talk to a bank is when you don't need any money and because uh, they all want to give it to you. And so if you really need money really desperately and you don't have a relationship with a bank, they're, they're probably not going to give it to you. So that's the wrong time. When you want to have a, par- a relationship with the bank is when you don't need it. Your financials are fantastic. You don't even really need a loan or the line of credit. And then everyone will want you. It's kind of like uh, having a girlfriend in high school. Everybody wants to date you. So, the, But the thing that the banker is looking for is you're just your ability to pay them. Uh, what other debt do you have? And, and your earnings that you're making, the profit that you're making, how many times... Uh, Um, more earnings do you have than the interest payments that you'll have with this debt that you're trying to get plus all the other debt that you have. And it it needs to be several multiples. They just want to make sure that, okay, if, gosh, this guy's biggest customer leaves, that they'll still be able to make enough profit to, to pay all their bills plus us. And so if you have earnings that are three or four or five times your debt, interest payment, then they feel pretty comfortable versus if you're, if what you made in profit is equal to the payment for the loan that you're trying to get, then that's, wow, that's really risky. If anything happens, then Robert's not going to be able to pay us. That makes us very nervous. So first thing is that start early, have and have relationships with multiple banks and have small relationships with multiple banks. Start off with a small line of credit. Smart, start off with a small equipment loan and build a rapport with the bank and the underwriter. Be very open to the underwriter and never surprise the commercial banker that you're working with or the underwriter. The underwriter is like the partner in the back of the room with a, a calculator. They're the assistant to the banker. The banker has to get the underwriter to give the approval. And so don't surprise them and be very open and honest and start with small little relationships with bankers and you can build up to bigger relationships. If you're a mid-market or a larger firm, then you definitely should have two or three banking relationships with mid-size and then one much larger banking firm. It keeps everybody honest, but also banks get in and out of industries. I recently talking to some commercial, commercial bankers that were very, very heavy in commercial real estate last year, and now they've gotten a signal from their corporate headquarters that they want to sort of siphon down. They want to turn down the dial on commercial real estate, and they're very focused on logistics. And so they have a big, heavy uh, quota on new logistics clients. That changes all the time, so you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. So uh, call to action if you're a mid-market or large firm for that on the banking side. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Robert Bendetti. He founded the Global CFO Council of Chief Financial Officers. You can find out more at his website, globalcfocouncil.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? 
helped us paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing. Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Robert Gundetti, the founder of the Global CFO Council, which you can find out more at globalcfocouncil.com. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thank you for having me back, Jordan. So we talked about what bankers are looking for, but investors are different. What, what are investors looking for when you want money from them? Yeah, whereas bankers want to make sure you're making a profit so you can pay them the debt payment, investors are not really as concerned oftentimes with your profit. They are going to – I'm, I'm coming up with four thoughts here. Number one is going to be the, a, a dramatic, massive increase possibility in revenue that your forecast in a regular mid-market firm or a large organization, you'd be very happy with a 10% annual increase in revenue. That would be pretty solid. Investors in small and mid-sized firms are looking for 10x revenue increases. At, at, that, at a, that even going from 5 million to 10 million to 20 to 40 million is kind of slow for the investor class. So the First thing, whether you're looking at, oh, I'm going to try to get money in a friends and family round or venture capital, that, that you don't have an idea that they are going to be interested in unless you are massively and dramatically increasing revenue. Number, that'd be number one. Number two thing that they're going to look for is that in addition to the massive revenue opportunity is they're going to want to understand your cost of acquisition of your customers. Do you understand who your customers are? And do you understand the cost to acquire those customers? Uh, Because you might not be making very much profit. And so the cost to acquire the customers so you can hit this 10x may have to come from the investor's pocket. And so they want to understand that you know exactly the cost of acquisition of each additional customer. Number two thing I, I find that's really important to investors, or number three, excuse me, is the team. That investors do not want to inv- have a team of one. It needs to be a team of three or four. That there's people with a complement of talents, a technical person and a salesperson as an example. Uh, that if you are one person with one idea, that is not a team. And that is not what the investors are going to invest in. They want to see multiple engineers that have a, 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 amazing talent. They might have not have experience, 
uh, but they they have uh, they're very knowledgeable and uh, amazing talent. So you need to put together a really strong team technically, but also on the sales side. And then the the last thing, I, and I I'd highly recommend Peter Thiel's book on uh, the a startup. He focuses on that you need to have an insight that there's something about the market that's only known to you that you have some secret that there's there's a there's a product a service there's a there's an arbitrage to be played and that you have this this secret that no one else knows this insight that no one else knows and you're able to solve a problem that like no one else can and if you have a, a combination of that that insight that special insight an amazing team, true knowledge of the cost of acquiring customers so that you can execute on this 10x revenue growth, that is a, a great prospect to begin setting up meetings with investors, in my experience. I'd be interested in your view of what happened recently with FTX, which was the super hot growth company in the uh, cryptocurrency space and had all the most fancy investors and venture capitalists and all turn out to be a, a sham. Do you think that's <laughs> was predictable or, or, or they all got fooled, even though they, they're all very sophisticated? Well, I think it's both things. I'd like to point out that that company did not have a CFO and uh, Theramos did not have a CFO. And so if you are an investor or you think you're thinking of working somewhere that is a super high growth and uh, they're a large organization and they don't have a uh, senior financial executive running the business and finance side, I would be really concerned. So I just love pointing that out every time somebody brings up FTX. I'd say the same thing about Theramos. Um, they don't have CFOs. And so that, that should be a huge red light. I find it nonsensical that as many celebrities and high-powered individuals uh, invested and in that cryptocurrency, and they were running their books on QuickBooks. This is a, a billion-dollar valuation organization, and they're they're running it off of QuickBooks. I love QuickBooks. It's great for small businesses, uh, solo entrepreneurs. It's fantastic. It's unparalleled. Awesome. It is not what a cryptocurrency company that has a valuation over a billion dollars should be running their finances on. And that cryptocurrency, it was a pump and dump scheme. They were, they were, uh, it's brutal. I I think it's one of the worst business scams since Bernie Madoff. And allegedly, I should say, allegedly. And it, you can't just assume because somebody else famous or somebody else smart or somebody else rich invested that it's a good deal. That's, that's what happened with Bernie Madoff. He, he made yeah. it prestigious and hard to invest on the investment side of his company. And, and everybody just thought, well, gosh, a lot of people part, work with Bernie Madoff. It's an honor to give him right. money, but he didn't have a CFO either. He was, he was, printing the statements on a dot matrix printer on a homegrown financial system. Those are huge red flags. If you're investing anything and they don't have a CFO and they're using dot dot matrix or QuickBooks, 
just look further is all I would say. And don't trust uh, really famous um, uh, people because sometimes they make mistakes too. In the roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what kind of difference it'll make to take some of the advice we, we took on running your finances in a more organized way that we described? I think we all have hopes and dreams at the beginning of the year that either personally or professionally we're going to take a big step forward. Something dramatic is going to happen. And I, I think m more likely is a, a mindset that, well, if I just make really small steps forward, that over time, small steps will turn into big movement in the direction that I hope to get to. And so all the things that we talked about, the people side of change, the ad card model, or the four L's, the idea here is may, maybe not think, oh, it's got to be some huge step. I got to wait for some huge idea, some huge brainstorming, some huge event, just something small. Make a little small step. If you were to have a 1% improvement each week in something because of compounding 1% in 72 weeks, you're a brand new person and really small changes in your personal life or in your professional life can have a really big and profound impact later on. So I would uh, say to each person that if it's don't, uh, don't take this as, Oh, I'm stressed out because there's so many things to do. Just have a bias for action and say to yourself, I'm going to try to do one small thing personally or professionally. Take one nugget from something that we talked about today or an insight from a previous Jordan show. And I'm going to take one small step forward. Even if I fail, I fail forward. But I'm going to have a bias for action. Very good. We've learned a lot this last hour. My guest has been Robert Bendetti. He founded the Global CFO Council. His website is globalcfocouncil.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show. We learned a lot, Robert. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Bye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.